Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of The Lion Theory. I am your sit-in host today, Luke Robot, with Stu Adams. G'day, guys. We're, uh we're one soldier down today. He, uh, he seems to have caught in a bit crook or a bit busy. Hopefully, it's not the Rona. I, I think he's uh, having a, 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 a leisure day to himself. So a well-being day. A well-being day. Well, and, and long overdue. Long overdue. Good on Moxie. Maybe he's on a date. He looks like he needed it after the last few episodes. He so did, yeah. The old white shirt started becoming a bit see-through. <laughs> yeah. But look, we've got some really, really important stuff to get through today. And to do that, we also need a very, very special guest. And all the way from quarantine in Darwin- we have Emma Foster Gearing. Emma Foster Gearing is a well, I'd I'd class her as a bit of a an emerging giant in sustainability um, in the UK. She's currently the head of sustainability at Vivo Barefoot, which is one of the the biggest you know sustainable footwear brands in the world. And on top of that, she also has her own podcast, which is Sustain This, which she runs through Vivo Barefoot. Wow. Now Emma is uh, an Australian at heart but currently based in the UK and heading back home for work reasons uh, temporarily, but hopefully we will have her home for good soon. So, on behalf of the podcast, Emma, welcome. Welcome, Emma. Glad to have you. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for keeping me a bit entertained in prison. Uh, <laughs> and, and Emma, you've got a really, really interesting story. Um, you've started as a uh, water polo player in, in Cronulla, and you've ended up in the UK, you know, kicking goals in sustainability, which is a word that you have said you hate. And so, Emma, tell us a bit about yourself, please. What got you into a demountable building in Darwin today? <laughs> Thanks, Luke. Yeah, I guess I probably did start as a water polo player, but um, I'm not sure I was any good, so I probably won't go into that part of my history. But um but yeah, so I I obviously grew up with you guys on the beaches of Cronulla and and kind of you know beautiful environments. And I always destroyed me to see big mining companies polluting, you know you know our waters and our beaches. And I hated it so much. And so my dad encouraged me to kind of become an engineer and understand why we build things the way we do, um, and then work with the system to try and change it. And um, I think growing up as a kind of stubborn, you know, strong Australian bitch that wanted to hang out with all the boys, um, I naturally gravitated towards wanting to kind of crack open the global corporate world. So I worked for construction companies. I worked for mining companies. I worked for um, fast fashion brands. I worked for luxury brands. Um, I mean, you can check out my LinkedIn if you're interested in the specifics. Um did a bit of a PhD on the topic and then, you know, all I do is kind of worm my way into the boardrooms and then try and get them to actually use their business models for good is, is kind of in essence what I do for a job. So, um, yeah, I mean, why, you know, how do I get here? Um, yeah, seven and a half, eight years in the UK now, uh, losing my tan, um, getting really fat because I drank too much and, uh, yeah, and so now now I'm here, coming back for a visit, and uh, yeah, as Luke says, I hope to be back later in the year. Uh, very, very, very good. Now, I, I want to delve into a little bit of, uh, I listened to one of your podcasts, and, and you mentioned I hate the word sustainability. Very interesting, given that the field of work that you work in is exactly that. Um, give us a little bit about why do you hate that word? 
Yeah, I think it's one of those things that people use to um, uh, politicize. I guess, I guess the word you in Australian is bullshit, right? Because the truth is that businesses have been set up to make profits in the past, and we all know that that type of extractive culture where companies just make stuff with materials that the world can't provide and pollute and you know just make billionaires rich at the very top it can't it can't survive anymore it's it's an obsolete business model um and in the past sustainability has been kind of whacked on the outside of companies so that they can make a few recycled polyester products or throw a bit of money at some poor people in a country in africa and, and kind of go to bed at night feeling slightly less guilty um, but the truth is that business now really needs to be scientifically regenerating, rewilding and restoring, not just the planet, but also people. And I think that goes, you know, you guys talk a lot about health on this podcast and um, it goes for health just as much as it does environmental issues. And we can't be pumping junk food and mindless, you know, drivel out into the world via companies. So basically with, you know, the science is telling us that we only have like 10 years left on this planet, right? Because we polluted it to the point where, you know, people are sick, the planet is sick. And what we need to do actually is use businesses to regenerate and restore things now. It's not just about growing your bottom line and, and getting a bunch of profit and making yourself Elon Musk and then turning around and chucking a bit of money at problems in, in, in countries, but actually it's about making sure that everything your business does actually regenerates and restores the health of people and the health of the planet. Yeah. Do you think that we've gone way too far and is it, do we reckon we've got time to reverse this? Obviously there's obviously other technologies like terraforming long-term, but we've polluted this planet to overheating, right? So that's why we're getting hotter and hotter because the, the carbon monoxide can't get out of the ozone layer. So, um, what do you think we've gone too far and what what do you think we can do to change that now like obviously during covid i've just noticed pictures from the philippines i've spent a lot of time there and you could never see the blue sky now they're seeing the blue sky because there's no cars driving around so just wondering what your thoughts are how how do we reverse that there's a couple of things in there i want to address because i guess the first thing i'd say in response to that is that it's something i try not to think about too much and the reason that is the case is because i think if you if you just hope that things are going to get better, then you relinquish the agency that you have in actually making things better. Mm. And a lot of people are kind of sitting around, um, you know, saying like, oh, you know, it's doomsday and I don't want to think about it. Um, and I really just hope that people like Bill Gates are going to build a, you know, thing to Mars or whatever and we're going to fix all of or we can, you know, innovate our way out of the mm. problems. But the truth is that everyone has a role to play in this. Yeah. You know, for a long time now, I've said I don't understand how you can work in anything other than sustainability because it's the most single most important thing in the world right now. And I guess that kind of leads us to our first sort of topic of the day, and that is, you know, with this vaccine um, becoming a more readily available and, and for mass distribution very soon, obviously sustainability and the shift in, I guess, focus has been, would you say, sort of, uh, accelerated due to due to COVID, or would you say there's been a a change in mindset, or the, you know keeping everyone inside and a lot less production, uh, mm. a lot less traffic, a lot less um, car movement, and you know f fossil fuel burning for for aeroplanes, and uh, the world has slowed down um, in the past year. And do you think that's kind of been a it's crazy to say, but a bit of a blessing in disguise from a a reset point of view? I think it depends at what angle you look at it. 
um, you know, keep in mind that I've been in the UK, right? So I have a slightly different perspective to you guys. Um, honestly, we slowed down for about a month in the UK and then everyone pushed the foot on the accelerator. And the truth is that those planes didn't stop flying. They're just carrying cargo. We didn't stop making single-use plastic shit. We actually started making more of it. So just before COVID hit, we started to get to reusables and renewables and then COVID hit and now no one wants to touch anything. And there's like 500 million times the amount of waste. Um, no more so than in quarantine where I am right now, where absolutely everything that comes into this room gets thrown into landfill. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that's pretty devastating. But at the same time, the awareness, I think, is definitely picked up. And there's this actually this funny little cartoon that shows like tidal waves. And the tidal wave for COVID is absolutely teeny compared to the tidal wave for climate change and mass ecosystem destruction and biodiversity loss that's going to come after COVID. Um, so I think we've shown we can react as a global unit to these big issues that affect us all. And that, I think, is what I take away is perhaps a good sign for what's to come. Yeah. I think that we have to change our behaviours a lot if we do try and reverse what we've done to the planet. Like you just mentioned something about going to Mars. Well, the only way that we can inhabit Mars is if we pollute the shit out of it and blow it up to, to form an atmosphere, right? So we're going to have to do the same behaviour we did to the Earth to be able to live on it. So it's pretty crazy where we're heading. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. And actually, um, I try to, to avoid that discussion just purely because I think that, it, again, it kind of leaves us in this point where we're like, well, we'll just keep dirtying this one and keep fucking this one up. And then we'll and then go we'll fuck go Mars up. We'll, yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll kind of do that thing over there. But at the same time, I do. I think it's important that we don't consume a blame. And what I mean by that is that companies like to come out and say, for example, Shell, which is one of the worst oil and gas companies, came out recently and said, you know, it's so important for you as a consumer to play your role in, in climate change. And it's like, come on, mate, like this is fucking ridiculous. You guys are responsible for like 80% of the global greenhouse gas emissions footprint, not to mention everything else. And they're putting a lot of pressure so on think, not putting the electronic yeah, cars I, and stuff up right now. So that's why it's been delayed so far because electronic cars could have been done 30, 40 years ago. Well, the fruit rot, rots from the head. You know, they, that's why they say the fish rots from the head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, I think you mentioned uh, a different perspective given that you were in the UK. Now, we we have done, I think, in the world, a very, very good job here of, of managing uh, COVID-19. It, it appears that the UK is, and obviously, a, a much uh, denser footprint, uh, a bigger population and, and less, you know, spots to hide. Um, what have you been your kind of biggest um, reflections on how the UK is handling it? And along with that- how does the, the regular Englishman and, and Englishwoman, um, how are they coping with COVID and, and with particular emphasis on, on their mental state? What, how are the people over there? I'm going to make a bunch of generalizations. Um, I have actually obviously interviewed a few people for my podcast on this topic and asked the same questions. Um, I think at the start, everyone was stoked that they had a bit of a holiday because life in the UK is a bit of a kind of one-way hamster wheel sometimes. Um, and then I think people kind of went into this space where they got quite lonely and, um, you know, it's very different to Australia because when the government says to do things in the UK, for the most part, they do. Um, and it's not really enforced. There's a kind of a lack of enforcement in the UK versus a very big enforcement culture in Australia. 
Um, and I think what happened in the UK was people kind of acted together in the spirit of like, right, we're all in this together, let's do it. And then about six months in, keeping in mind that we've been in lockdown now for over a year, like proper lockdown for over a year in the UK, um, everyone kind of just got over it and started to break the rules. And then we just started to get into, you know, the strife that we got into. Um, and we didn't feel like the government, you know, got very dis- dis- disengaged and disenfranchised with the government for their lack of action. Um, and then this wonderful thing happened where we started to remember the value of the community. And people started to talk to their neighbours and people started to actually want to go and actually like interact with their communities. And they understood why going into the office and being in that community was important or going and playing sport was important. Um, I think that I am hopeful, I guess, that after we come out of lockdown, people remember the importance of that yeah. community. Even like families in Australia became a lot closer. Like you notice one of the biggest sold out items is like board games and puzzles and stuff like that. And that's stuff that I used to do as a kid with my family, but you don't see many families doing it these days. And let me chuck an iPad in some front of someone and, and try and distract the kids that way. So parenting you know, became back to normalization a little bit. And on top of that, I think also what I identified you know, where I live in Cronulla was the value of the outdoors suddenly became so, so rich. And, and so, when the opportunity was given for people to exercise outside because gyms were closed, suddenly the people went, wow, there's a whole big world out here called the ocean, called, you know, tracks, called parks, called trails, called these things that have always been neglected over a treadmill or an elliptical or a mm. weight or a bar or, all these things suddenly disappeared and people for a while went, well, what are we going to do? And then it hit that, hold on a minute, our planet's our biggest asset and look what it gives us and it's free. And so, when our restrictions were slightly lifted because it was so important for people to actually get to exercise, not only for their physical well-being, but for their mental state. Oh, 100. And, and you saw a, a particularly active community like Cronulla embrace nature like it's never been embraced before. Now, I recall our beaches, for example, a lot of people would be doing ocean swimming at 6.30 in the morning and traditionally at the end of the weekend, you'll see rubbish all over Cronulla Beach because of, you know, tourists coming down or having a picnic or a barbecue and there'd be rubbish everywhere. But what I recalled when these restrictions were in was when people would get out of the water, they would pick up a bit of rubbish and put it in the bin on the way to their towel. How cool is that? Which showed a a shift in mentality of, hold on, this is not for free. We have an obligation here. Suddenly, I'm in charge of looking after what I use and what I enjoy. And as a result of that, we actually had a really positive change to our own, our own front step, our own door, front door where- we started looking after the place. And so, once again, it's a lesson that we, we learn the hard way of look after what we have because it is everyone's responsibility. And so, that was our kind of take, um, you know, physically and, and, and through through activity was look after what you have. I just noticed people becoming a lot more present as well and that's something that people just get by day life they don't even notice the beaches or being around a nice day. So, I think that's that people actually got more in touch with themselves as well. Yeah, not taking things for granted. I mean, yeah. it's funny that you say that as well too because when COVID first hit in the UK, the company I work for, Vivo Barefoot, which sell minimalist footwear that connect you, literally connect you with nature and 
bring you closer to nature. We all freaked out. We all kind of got together and thought, fuck, we're going to, you know, we're going to have to cut people and cut salaries and we're not going to have money and all that kind of stuff. And then um, exactly what you just said then happened, where suddenly everyone was like, right, I can hike now because I've got time. And we didn't have enough stuff to sell. Our biggest problem was that we keep running out of stock because everyone wants new hiking boots, everyone wants running boots, and we can't make them quick enough to sell them. It's amazing how, like, so many industries did blossom during this, you know, like Rebel Sports sold out of all their fitness equipment, Um, JB Hi-Fi and all them sold out of all their computers and screens and stuff like that. So some people did flourish through these times, but other people had huge issues. And and it really joined – I think it really joined the fitness community together, you know, and things that you kind of embrace as – what you know, mutual interests suddenly became very, very accessible, you know, to the, for the other side of the world. Emma, you and I were doing, you know, virtual boxing um, for over Zoom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was running boxing sessions for Emma and her husband. Adam. No way. And you know, that was something that we never thought would be happening because you know, Emma and, and Adam, they'd always go to the gym or go for their hikes or whatever it was. Suddenly, something new became something. Very normal. That's un- it's insanely cool. I think lots of people also want to connect with people with like-minded people during this time as well, instead of just staying in the same you know group. So that's what I also saw. So I think it's been a blessing and a curse. Yeah, absolutely. No, well, look that that that's. I think that's a really good summary on on where COVID has sat, you know, in this country and from another perspective as well. And obviously, we're very open to questions from our audience, which you can hit us up on Instagram on at the Lion Theory. And we can delve into that into the near future. All right, guys, a bit of a change of pace now. And we are delving into the world of thirst trapping. <laughs> Something that I think Stu gets caught in a fair bit. No, not in me. down the rabbit hole on Instagram. I definitely see people thirst trapping. I don't I don't do it myself, but I'd love to hear Emma's perspective on this and yours, Luke. Well, you you always know when someone's a bit thirsty, don't you? Yeah, look, there there are there are particular sort of factors that you can factor in and, and go, <laughs> Oh, someone's feels a bit dehydrated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Emma Emma thing Emma seems to really, be worried about really this simple question <laughs> to kick things off. Do you know what a thirst trap is? And if so, can you please give us a, a bit of a summary or description from a female perspective? What do you deem a thirst trap? And, and when you were single, did you go goodwill hunting as well? Oh, you are definitely making me feel my age right now. I have no no fucking idea what a thirst trap is. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your definition of Wait, it. Luke can give you and the I'm, Wikipedia version. And I'll version. give you an answer right now. I probably have done it. <laughs> <laughs> and Emma, I can confirm, yes, you have. <laughs> Whoa, here we go. So, just to give you a bit of a rundown. So, a thirst trap is a type of social media post that is intended to entice viewers sexually. Wow. It refers to a user's thirst, a colloquialism that likens sexual frustration to dehydration, implying <laughs> desperation. It originated around the 2010 mark, meaning that the, the whole art of the trap has shifted over time. So, Stu, I'm going to start did, with you. Did you just read that directly off Wikipedia? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did because then if I if I said it, then I'd get in trouble. But if I read it off Wikipedia, I'm sweet. We're not using Urban Dictionary. <laughs> so, Stu, take me through a thirst trap. What, what are the what are the key features that you see can be deemed as a thirst trap? And are there little underlying ones? Are there little tricks? You, you can obviously tell when someone's single, um, and you can tell when they're a bit thirsty. So, like. 
Uh, lots of bikini photos, lots of stories put in the, you know, sexual implicit, um, not, not leaving much to imagination. Um, you know, that they're definitely key indicators of, they're definitely key indicators of first, thirst traps. So I think guys do it in a bit different way. Um, they, they probably, you know, show that they're out doing something or, um, showing they're doing something interesting because we don't, you know, guys aren't as sexy as females. No offense to the, to the to, I'm not trying to sound sexist or anything. We don't have those, no, those, those features to, you know, well, some guys do. Um, you know, good old Scotty Tent. He's a thirst trap king. I don't care if I say it on this air. Um, I'm trying to ruin his, his life at the moment. So. Um, yeah, those those are the things that I notice, like putting up bikini pictures when they don't normally do that. Um, very skimpy outfits, um, and and guys would be obviously taking their shirts off if they're ripped, or they'll be trying to uh, impress someone by doing something. That's that's what I'd indicate for that. I d- I don't particularly know how to do it. I'm I'm special. And so I think on top of that, Stu, from a guy's uh, point of view, the the key, the, the dangling of the pilchard as such. <laughs> <laughs> I think a dog. If a single male has a dog, you will see that dog Mate. absolutely plastered everywhere on and, Instagram. And showing the dad instincts. Like, yeah. La- ladies love a guy that has the dad instincts, right, Emma? Is that true? Like, has a, has I a- am just currently taking back my previous comments about how professional this podcast is. <laughs> yeah, we, we go up and down, you know, obviously. Like, we're obviously not saying that we do these things, but you can obviously tell when someone's in the mood to find a new uh, partner. Look, I'll give you a bit of a story in order to explain. Are you breaking why, your prof- are you, you breaking know. your professionalism now too? Yeah, n- no, no, actually no, because I've been pretty public about this story. But um, but yeah, so I I went to I went to Greece six months ago now, and I had come off the back of twelve months of just like intense work in COVID. Like nine to five wasn't a thing; it was bloody all twenty four seven working. And I needed a holiday after 12 months. And I went to Greece and I had a great holiday and I, you know, ran around in a bikini the whole time and I had a fucking fantastic time. And then on the last day, I was running around in a bikini and one of the particular Greek men that was over there decided that I was asking for it. Oh, no. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, it's quite serious. I don't mean to bring the tone down, but... The reason I bring it up is because I then actually posted a photo of myself in a bikini in response to that because Mm. in many ways, like, I know we're making fun about it and it is funny and we should make fun of it, but it's also really freeing for us to post photos of our bodies and to be proud of our achievements and, you know. Yeah, what I'm saying is, like, multiple in one day or multiple throughout the whole week, not just, like, I've achieved this. Like 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 quantity, not quantity. Quantity, yeah. Like, if you put something up, I've just got in shape and I feel great about myself, that's awesome. That's not thirst trapping. Thirst trapping would be doing multiple Uh, things over multiple days, in my opinion, like putting a dog pictures up, you know, being cuddling with your dog every single day over an extended period of time, say say six to 12 months. Yeah, and you know those people that are um, influencers and they, like, stack their posts up on a Sunday so they automatically upload Upload, every single day of the week? God, I just don't understand that. I've actually got that set up for our water polo club. (laughs) (laughs) Is it just you with your shirt off in 10 different No, no, mate. No one would come to our club if it was me with my shirt off. See, Luke, um, Lukey oh put a promiscuous my. shot of him in the beach when he's in his budgies the other week. He got a few likes, but obviously- oh, that, that was a favour for a friend. Yeah. But uh, no, but I also think that the art of the trap isn't only for others, it's for themselves. I think Emma made a really valid point that, you know, the body should be celebrated. Oh, 100%. And, you know, if 
if you got it, flaunt it. There's no certainly no harm in it. And if you know if that's going to help pump your tires up, then go for it. Oh, I'm not deterring it. Yeah. I think you it's know. great. Um, oh, so- you're, we're celebrating the thirst trap. Exactly, we are. We are. It's a it's a yeah. great tool. Like Instagram's become the number one dating tool in the world. It's it's surpassed Tinder, Bumble, Hinge. Uh, if you're into Grinder and stuff like that, it's outdoing it by a mile at the moment. So obviously that's a tool where people feel more comfortable and more engaging to do that. And if you're single, fine, do thirst traps. It's fine. I'm I'm okay with it. But I'm just saying you can absolutely tell. And what would be a good thirst trap? That's what we're discussing today. It's not. Mate, a- mate, I met my husband on Instagram. There you go. I He's slid a stud. into his DMs in a big way. Yeah, was he was he in budgies at the time or is just looking great? No, he was playing rugby. He was playing rugby and he was all like his bicep was all here. Quads. And I sent him a message that said, "Hey." <laughs> the rest is history. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's that's where you know. That's what I'm saying. Putting a post up to slide in, get specifically to get people to slide into DMs is definitely a thirst trap. <laughs> all right, that'll wrap it up on that one. So, guys, it is the time of the week for my story of the week, and this week it actually takes us to the motherland of England, where a man with a Harry Potter name says people always think he's lying when he introduces himself. Now, a man has gone viral on TikTok after admitting that people call him a liar whenever he introduces himself as his name sounds like something straight out of a popular book series. One man's name certainly sounds like it may be based on the magical book by J.K. Rowling. It has captivated many people. However, he claims that his name was purely accidental as he was born three years prior to the first Harry Potter book being written. In this TikTok video, which has gained hundreds of thousands of views, the the gentleman's name is actually Griffin Dorr. (laughs) He explained in the clip <laughs> that he's called a liar every single day as people don't believe his name is real is when he the, introduces is that the The man commented, I don't think you'll be able to beat me, but I'm curious. And then that's when the comments started rolling in. Over 84,000 people liked the video with thousands commenting, sharing their own cool name story. Some had a, other Harry Potter names with one saying his children's fa- this children's father's name was Tom Riddle. And the sons had him saved as Voldemort in their phones. A second added, my co-worker is Harry Potter. He's like 40-something and he hates it. So, another replied, my maiden name is Hurley and my husband's last name is Gurley. So, when I got married, I became Hurley Gurley. (laughs) And another said, my sister Mary is married to a man called Brian Christmas, which makes her name Merry Christmas. Oh, no. So, my question is, what is the most unfortunate name that you have heard or been introduced to? So, I'll kick things off. My dad's structural engineer, (laughs) so where he certifies beams and columns and and all that sort of thing, his name is actually Jim Beam. (laughs) He used to work for your dad, now he's leaving, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, we've, we've got a Jim Beam, which is just a shocker. And then I've had three teachers- that have had the same name as last name, if that makes sense. So, I had a science teacher called Andrew Andrews. I had a lecturer called Michael Michaels. And I had another lecturer called Stephen Stevens. Oh, no. 
So they're my they're my most unfortunate. Stu, have you got a have you got one? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this, aren't I? Um, so I got two. So I was a sales manager in uh, overseas, and uh, one of the sales guys signed up a client, and uh, the signature came back, and the name of the client was Candy Cane, and I was like, <laughs> I, I go, you've got to show me the ID ID for this because I don't believe this is this is not true, right? And it was definitely her name was <laughs> legitimate on a license, Candy Cane. And the other one was, well, I owned a gym in Five Dock, and he's a good mate of mine, God bless his soul, but his name's Guy Beaver. So I was like, oh, this, this can't be legit either. Give me your, give me your ID. So yeah, Guy Beaver, I love you. Um, your name's a bit crook though. So <laughs> uh, hopefully you're not listening. I know, least, I, I know Ella, your friend is. So. At, at least, at least he's not related to the former mayor of LA, Harry Beaver. <laughs> You know some weird shit, man. I know, man. I yeah, know. Emma, much. you got something? Yeah, I mean, look, the best example I can give you is my name because my dad named me after the most famous prostitute in history. And I didn't find out until I was 22 and I transferred my PhD to University College of London and the person on the reception desk said, oh, Emma Hamilton. Well, that's really interesting. You mean like after Lady Hamilton, who is Lord <laughs> Nelson's mistress? Did, did so, your, did, was that intentional and did your mum know about that? I'm pretty sure my dad uh, intended it, but I don't think my mum knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a doozy. Absolute doozy. Oh, welcome. No, nah, very, very good. We've got, you're t- famous for two things now. It's awesome. And just our audience, if you do have any obscure names that you'd like to flick through and we can run through next week, please send them through on Instagram. We'd certainly be interested in finding out. Oh, definitely. Who else has copped the uh, the short straw when it comes to when it comes to names? Actually, speaking, if we're going to go personally, my dad's first and middle name is Ivan Drago. Oh, mate, really? Yeah, Rocky, my, Rocky the movie. Ivan, yeah, and he was born 15 years before that movie came out. So, dad was always branded as a bit of a villain due to- He's Croatian too, and he's right? Croatian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, he's from that part of the world. He doesn't look like Ivan Drago, but- He's got the name. Uh, and yeah, and, explains a lot, Luke. <laughs> my my mum didn't have a unique name, but um my, my grandfather he was a sailor in World War Two and he was completely hammered when uh, my mum was born. And on the birth certificate he signed under my mum's name, my mother's name. So they both have the same name as Des because of that. Oh. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right, guys. So that's our story of the week. As I said, if you want to flick something through to us to read out next week, just let us know. Moving on, Stu's Hack of the Week. So, this week, and it's something we can all dream of, and Emma's actually doing it, is traveling. So, obviously, when you're traveling around the world, jumping between time zones, moving fast, you need to be at your best or as close to in order to perform at your most capable ability. So, we're going to run through some of the hacks that we all have when it comes to traveling. Emma, I want you to kick things off for us. You've obviously traveled a lot for work, had to jump around between continents, between time zones fairly, fairly quick. What are the things that you do to make sure that you're running at your best um, when you're carrying out those activities? Oh, I genuinely thought you were going to go like creepy or, or like, you know, like jokey on this segment, but we're actually going serious biohacks. Full serious, yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I travel a lot for work, so I can give you a kind of rundown of what I do on a, on a typical trip. Um, first of all, I get pissed in the lounge on red wine so that I cark it on the plane. Um, but then because obviously when you're in pressure, you get lots of inflammation from the 
than being drunk. So I just like smash um, this. It's called Noon. It's like hydration tablets with water the whole time. Um, I always put a mask on just before I land so I don't look like death when I get off at the other end because I'm normally going straight to work. And then I um, I go and find the nearest massage parlor in whatever mysterious country I might be in so that I can uh, get my, my ankles sorted out. Um, and uh, and then and then yeah, I immediately kind of adjust and get going. But that's and, and also I make sure I don't drink the water because I've been sick way too many times from brushing my teeth in the shower in these weird countries. So there's my hacks. Oh, very that's good. Cool. Very good. And yeah, given your your line of work where you are traveling to those manufacturing uh, based countries a lot. I can imagine the water and, you know, not only water, people forget ice, ice, everything, you know, shower. People forget about these things where, oh, I'll just rinse my mouth out in the shower and next minute you're uh, worshipping the old porcelain bus. <laughs> <laughs> is, next, is next minute still a thing, Luke? I thought that went out uh, of the day at the Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not the measurement of cool. I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> so, well, that's, it, it's, it's, yeah, with you guys when you're travelling to all those sort of, countries it's you have to be very very careful because one thing can put you out and your whole trip is out and especially for work when you got a front up and and you can't hold it together it's uh it's not good so my hack most importantly before i get on a plane i will always do some sort of workout whether it be a swim a run a gym session anything and then i will make sure i get on the plane as hydrated as humanly possible Mm -hmm. then when i'm actually on the plane I generally make friends with the flight attendants who allow me to go down the back and have a really, really good stretch. Now, I use my hips as an excuse where I say, guys, I physically can't stay in this chair for too long um, because I will seize up and, you know, you give them a bit of a wink and not an issue. So, I like to move as much as I can on the plane. I don't really like to take many things when it comes to sleeping pills or that sort of thing because uh, I think- and we've established this, I do struggle with sleep. But if I can be in the right mindset, if I can put a movie on, I will eventually drift off. Then when I land, most important thing, get to the hotel as quick as possible, have a rinse, and then just do a lap of wherever you are. Have a good you know, hour, hour and a half, go for a walk, move around, and try adjust to that time zone as quickly as possible. But most importantly, stay hydrated, move around, stretch, and you'll be right in the morning, ready to go. Stu, can't yeah. wait to oh, hear wait, this. Wait, 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 wait. That's the other thing I was going to add to that as well too is the most important thing when you get off at the other end is grounding. So, getting out and being I was just about to talk about that. Being, oh, we, is this your hack? Yeah. Oh, my God. Did I just win? Did I yeah, win? you won. You won. You won. It's I won. Game over. You, won. <laughs> you win a prize. <laughs> you win an unlimited supply of lion's blood. And, you get the, get and, 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 and the optimal lab prize that Luke won last week, yeah. which still hasn't come. Georgina, if you're listening, we're waiting. So, Stu, take us through your hack, mate. Well, the hack will be depending on which time you take off on your flight and what time zone you're going to land in. So, just for example, if I'm going to land in the morning, I'll make sure I try and knock myself out hard on the plane. So, taking a high dose of melatonin and CBD, put myself out. And then if I land during the daytime, I'll get straight out, get the electrolytes in, a bit of glutathione as well. And I'll make sure I'll go straight to a training session, straight into routines, training the time zones, training session, cold shower, then earthing. That would be my ultimate hack for getting straight into the zone. Also, stay on their time zone 
as much as possible. So if you land in the daytime and it's nighttime in Australia, you've got to stay awake as long as possible. And earthing will give you some energy as well and a cold shower and a, and a workout will give you that, you know, those endorphins to keep you throughout the day. And if I'm going to land at night time, it'd be ch- getting getting to the hotel, um, checking in, and and putting myself into as deep sleep as possible. And um, that would be a heavy dose of melatonin and CBD, like five to six times the normal dose. Like you can't even wake up, black out the room, and then get up and start my routine, just like I just said there, straight into hit training, straight into earthing, and um, getting out in the sun and moving. So that's pretty simple. Um, a lot of people don't do that though, because a lot of people get on the piss on the plane. I don't do that at all. Uh, I keep myself oh, hydrated. So much judgment. There's so much. No, judgment. no. I, no, I, no. I, I, I've got two business partners. They knock themselves out cold on the on the beers. We're always in the in the in the first lounge before we take off. I'm not trying to talk it up, um, but I don't. They they're already sinking. They get there three four hours early before the flight to drink, get on the cans. And um, I don't particularly like that because I don't want to get up and down while I'm while I'm on the plane. I want to I want to be. I don't hydrate. I start hydrating water towards the end of the flight, the last two hours. But I don't really hydrate during it because I don't want to get up and down and go to the toilet. So I want to keep myself into as routine as possible because I travelled maybe 180 days the year before COVID hit. And you know when you're travelling so much, your body gets knocked around. There's so much radiation in that plane. It's like going through 10 X-rays one flight. So your body's really tired and exhausted. So you got to really get those you know endorphins flowing and get yourself back to as normal as possible. It's interesting you mentioned the you only hydrate at the end or really fuel up on the water at the end. I, I'm of the exact opposite. I kind of identify that being an opportunity to, well, I've got nothing else to do. I may as well get rid of the bad stuff and put the good stuff in. So, I'll be the guy that is the pain in the ass and will always, yeah, another are, water. Are you on an aisle seat? Another water. Always an aisle seat. Yeah, always I'm a window an, guy. No, nah, no way. But like again, if I'm doing a day flight and I'm landing at night time, I'll be hydrating the whole time too. No, I'll cut a deal with the person that's sitting in the aisle to make sure that I'm on the aisle because I cannot hack the uh, the window seat. And it's also because the window seat curls at the top and I hit my head. Oh, really? Yeah. I love so- it. I go straight to sleep on the window seat. No, nah, no. And Emma, where do you like to be besides the front of the plane? Oh, honestly, I have no strong opinions on this. By, by, by getting pissed, I mean like having two glasses of wine because I'm, you know, I'm a weak. I'm all for that, lady. Emma. I don't think I'm judging you. I'm, 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 <laughs> I've done a few red wines and a, and, a, and a Valium before and that sends you to the moon. So, yeah, I've been there. I think what's interesting, like I could have talked the whole podcast though about earthing because like getting out and, um, and actually connecting with that magnetic, you know, that magnetic vibration coming from the grass, from the dirt on an wherever you're traveling to is just like I just find it so interesting I absolutely and I mean it's 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 really in the lifeblood of the company that I work for being grounded um being as close to nature as possible and having that big toe and the sensory I mean have you ever seen a picture of a homunculus before I don't even know what that is that sounds like it hurts so a homunculus is an anatomically um correct image of a human being, if the size of your body parts were correlated directly to how many sensory nerves you had in that. So your lips are really big. It kind of hang out like this. Your hands are massive. Your feet are massive. And, of course, your genitals are, are larger than they normally are. Um, but basically the point is that there's that many sensors in your feet and nerves and circulatory system in your feet that we switch off all the time in closed-in shoes. We switch off because we aren't touching the earth. We aren't connected with the ground. We aren't activating our big toe. We aren't 
you know, we're kind of making them numb all the time. And um, the science behind that is just It's insane science, um, right? I, every time I go out for a big night or something, the best thing that relaxes me the next day is getting straight out on, on, on a bit of earthing. So people don't understand the, the power of it. They think it's always this hippie craze, but you'll feel the energy straight away. And that's the earth magnetic field you're connecting yourself to. You can't do that when you've got shoes on and stuff like that. I don't know. Can you do that in the barefoot shoes? Some shoes you can't. Yeah. So our... Our soles are extremely minimal and they're using natural materials, so yes, but not not totally yet. We're going to be putting other stuff in it soon, something we're really looking into to try and get them actually, you know, because you need to have metals as well. So we're yeah. trying to get to that next level of um, grounding hopefully so, soon. So good for well-being. I recommend everyone try it before you diss it. I see so many people diss it, but uh, you, you'll feel amazing instantly and you just, just become yeah. one with nature. Well, it's, I mean, it's the also, science exists. The science you can't argue with the science. It, it exists, increases your white blood cells. Is that right? <laughs> it like triples your white blood cells pretty quick, right? That's it's insane. So, but it also it also comes from when you need you know personally to be at your best. You learn to judge the pace of where you're in by being out in it. And you know there are some cities that work a lot quicker than others. There are some towns that you know things are at a standstill. And and culturally, you need to understand that in order to to be accepted into that culture and to be accepted, you know, in the room or or the place that you are in, it is really important to gain a well-rounded understanding of your surroundings before you go in to, you know, present your idea or or to to contribute where you can. So at the end of the day, these hacks that we've we've the three of us have put together, I think is a pretty well-rounded way of of overcoming the the, the travel uh, the travel hump. Yeah, exactly. And um, definitely, Luke, you probably earth more than most people because you're out in the beaches and running on the sand and stuff like that. So, you probably don't notice oh, as absolutely, much. absolutely. Yeah. Well, for, for me, and, and Emma can test to this, I, I've been earthing in the Thames and almost copped a 1,200-pound fine for it. <laughs> so, he's a, he's a <laughs> so <laughs> oh, really? It, yeah, yeah. So, is that what I think it is? No, it's legit. I went for a swim in the Thames and was told that I wasn't allowed. And Mate, it's disgusting, the Thames. Oh, well, it's all about earthing. And didn't they do a triathlon once in the Thames? I, I don't know. But, oh. uh, yeah, look, I'll take my Cronulla Beach over the Thames. But, look, in saying that, you know, for me, any water is better than no water. So, we got in and gave it a whirl. And, look, you know, it just showed how blessed we are back home. Um, but, yeah, look, I wouldn't recommend swimming in the Thames. Well, yeah. certainly in Henley anyway. So, that wraps up the hack of the week. All right. So, moving on to our... Viewer questions or listener questions of the week. Stu, floor's yours. Yeah, guys, we've got five questions this week and they're quite interesting. Some some of them will be pretty difficult to answer, but um, let's have a crack. And the first one will be specifically for me, but anyone can chime in. Does CBD show up in a drug test? So CBD oils? Um, no. If you're taking a CBD uh, oil without THC in it, which is like a, a broad spectrum, not a full spectrum, you will not show up in, in, your, in your urine or blood samples. Um, but if you take a a, 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 a full spectrum, um, potentially it's like 0.03% THC in it, but unlikely, um, nothing to cause any, any, any of your blood levels to go over those specific markers. Anyone else want to answer this question? Anyone I've have- got no idea, mate. I thought you weren't allowed to have CBT in this country. We're, we're now Schedule 3, which means you can buy it behind the counter. Um, at a pharmacy, which is going to take about six to twelve months, because the the TGA um, Therapeutical Goods Australia will take a while to approve those people. But yes, you can still get your hands on it, and uh, I know a person if you need some. 
Yeah, I just had an open shoulder surgery six months ago and um, I've lived off the stuff in the UK, but it's very readily available over there. So. Are well, you speaking to the right person? Okay, let's go to question two. This one's this one is almost impossible to answer, but I'd love to hear you guys try. How would you describe the color yellow to a blind person? You go, Luke. Okay, I would describe the color yellow to a blind person as warm. It wow. is warm. It is like a sun piercing through a window. And and touching, you know, a part of your body. So, if I was to go to describe the color orange or red, I would make an extension of that to say that the window is removed, so you are exposed directly to it. But I would say it would be best class as a warm touch on your skin. Man, I don't know how to answer this one. You, you, you go, Em. No opinion on the matter. I, 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 I would tell them at least in the Coldplay yellow. Hopefully, they can describe it. <laughs> so we'll go. We'll, we'll go. Are you telling me that my answer's not good? Well, I think it's well, great. So I'll, you'd have to specifically interview the blind person. Do you dream? You know, can you describe anything that happens in your dreams? Do they see what we see in their dreams? And then maybe you could describe it. I have no idea otherwise. So it depends what the blind person's experience. Maybe they weren't blind at birth, so that'd be pretty easy. But I don't know. This is a tough question. It's a very difficult one to answer because, you know, you, you don't know. They might see colours in their head. I have no idea. Good viewpoint. Hmm. Okay, we'll go to the next one. And this is M's like going, man, what's going on with you, Stu? Uh, anyway, if you were in a WWE wrestling match, who would, you tag, who would your tag team partner be and why? This comes from Big Will from the gym. He's a legend. My partner would be Luke. Be 100%. <laughs> and, yes. and why? I just, I just think he's too gallant a human being to uh, let me get into any trouble. But then, like, he's also he knows my strengths, so he'd also let me get a few punches in. I'd, I'd give you the microphone. <laughs> I, I would, I would think you could bury your opponent with your intimidation. Yeah, your linguistic ability. Conor McGregor of WWE. I think you could. The art of mental disintegration <laughs> would be world class. I think you'd win a championship without putting a finger on the on the guy or girl. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> wow. What about you, Luke? Me? Um, who would I want as my WWE partner? I reckon. Oh, look! You, you can't ignore. You can't ignore history, so I'd well, want- He's going to say The Rock or something. No, nah, because yeah. The Rock and I are too similar. You know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> wow. wow that's, that's, and that's the end of Lion Theory Podcast 4. Uh, no, no. So, I, I'd probably go with a proven formula. So, I'd go with you know one of the big stars like like Stone Cold Steve Austin or Triple H. I think <laughs> you just can't ignore the, the, uh, the stats and statistically, they win more than they lose, so- at the end of the day, we're driven by outcome, and so I'm picking one of the big boys. Wow, I'm I'm going to go with the guy that asked the question, Big Will, because if we lose, I know you can go for a good drink with me, and we can have a mean hungy after it. So oh, that's that's good. why I'd go Big Will. I love you, bro. Waiting for that hungy still though. All right, what it's, is a hungy? it's a it's like a islander tradition. They dig a big hole and they cook a slow cook, you know, uh, pork or anything. Yeah, so they'll there. wrap it in like the banana leaves sort of thing, and then they'll they'll fill the hole with the embers. And they just slow cook it. It's it's oh, similar it's to a um oh the what what oh. it's amazing seriously. You need to get you need to have one. We'll get Will to do one when you're back in Sydney. It's what they do with That's like the, the bush ovens around here. I think it's called. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, so very very good. 
All right, so this is question number four. We've got two to go. Uh, tips to quit drinking. Oh, thanks. Oh, go into quarantine. You can't drink in here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you allowed one bottle a day. I had people in quarantine, they allowed one bottle a day and lots of sleeping tablets, which is quite dangerous. Zero. No, no. We've got the big donut. So, okay, I'll go first. I do disagree with the concept of quitting drinking because I think everything's good in moderation. However, if you are to quit drinking, I do think you need to find a valid substitute. Um, one thing, and, and I'll, use, I'll use soft drink as an example- Instead of drinking a soft drink for me, which I don't drink, I I really enjoy sparkling water and, and soda water, which because it has that gassy element, it makes it taste a little naughty, um, but it's still quite good. You know, it's, it's water, so, so it, what it's you, good for you. So, in saying that, I think if you do want to quit drinking, you need to find a substitute. You simply can't go cold turkey and stick to the H2O because, one, you'll get bored out of your brain, and, and two, it's just- it's not fun. It's not. It's not a an, an easing of. Are you off. suggesting like non-alcoholic beer and sparkling wine? And I stuff think. Like I that? think if you enjoy beer simply for its taste, then non-alcoholic beer is a great option. I think if you you look to drink, you know, you drink for the social element. Just find that find that alternative, and that alternative could be a bit of sparkling with a bit of lime in it, or a little bit of cordial in it, or something to give it a bit of a bit of pizzazz. But uh, I, I don't think you can go cold turkey. So you, you kind of. In all need- seriousness, genuinely, the one thing that has worked for me is tracking my sleep because drinking so badly affects the quality of your sleep. And once you track it for a few weeks, and me and Luke both use Whoop. Yeah, I use Whoop track, too, but I took it off. You because- track it and you wake up and you realize how much you're like degrading your skin and your cells and your energy levels. By not sleeping properly, I, Oof, I, I use I use stop. Whoop as well, and we've got a community at Be Fit. But I took it off because everyone was looking at my one hour sleeps on a Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Ooh, yeah never- Stu, you went to bed at four a.m. again. Yeah, I'd fuck off. Seriously, leave me alone. Well, the, the interesting thing that you do see on your Whoop as well is that you're right. Is the quality of sleep where you know your your REM, your rapid eye movement, genuinely decreases. You have very or little deep sleep which actually allows for that recovery. And on top of that, you actually find that your heart works harder. Um, I, I know with a big night on the, on the syrup that oh, my heart rate will be about 10 to 15 beats over what it normally is, which just shows my body's working simply to repair itself over something that I've done to myself. Um, so it's a really, really good point that you know if you can study your sleep, it will certainly deter you from drinking because if that is your focus is to sleep more and sleep better, then you will stop drinking because at the end of the day, you're driven by your outcome. But we're assuming that, you know, this we're talking about alcoholics here. If you're just a social drink, it's pretty easy to give up. Like I can go three to six months without drinking if I want, if I'm in training mode or I've got something to, to work towards. So like we're assuming that it's like an addiction, like a soft drink addiction, right? Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's all like we said at the start, you know, Moderation's great. That's what you want to focus on. If you can work in moderation, great. But if you do want to quit, I think biggest hack is one, alternative. Two, what Emma mentioned, which was sleep. And if that's something you want to improve. And at the end of the day, willpower as well. Yeah. So, so for me, I'd say um, 
stop drinking for me would be like have a have a goal in mind. So if I want to have a weight loss goal or a fitness goal, I would def I definitely stop drinking during those periods of time. Um, I, I don't agree with you guys on the whoop because for some reason my REMs went ridiculously high when I've been drinking. But then I spoke to a doctor and they said that's because you're in like a coma-like state when you drink asleep. So it's actually not really rapid eye movement at all. It's just like you're not you're completely not moving. So those 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 um detections are, are off for me. But I'd say set a goal, set a goal. So what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Let's do this and 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 put that first as a first priority. Okay. And now we're up to the last question. What's the best date you've been on that's not dinner or drinks? Wow. Very deep, Kat. I'll get in trouble for saying the real answer here. (laughs) (laughs) Luke knows. You've got to say it. Okay. I'll go first. Look, I'm – oh, this is toughy. I'm very – simple when it comes to dating and it's all about the company that I'm with and so the the things that I enjoy doing anything that I enjoy doing if if my partner does them with me I'm wrapped uh, I, I don't need a fancy dinner I don't need fancy drinks if it's you know going to going to the football you know standing on the hill with you know my partner and a couple of beers in hand I am like a pig in shit so my honest answer is the really simple stuff. Simple as going for a swim at the beach, having a coffee and a, a nice bit of brekkie afterwards. I'm I'm sold. Yes. It doesn't take much for me. So I, I wouldn't say nothing elaborate because elaborate's force for me. It's just genuine experiences with the the person you want to be with. Yeah, agreed. M. You do know that no one's been able to date in the UK now for over a year. <laughs> <laughs> so. We're, okay, well, it, does, it doesn't have to be the specific now partner. It could be the previous. Anyone that's you've been on a date with that wasn't involving drinks and uh, dinner. I don't know if I really have a. I mean, I don't think I have an answer that's appropriate for a podcast. Basically, well, we, I think that's probably my answer. Okay, <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair plead, enough. plead in the fifth. Fair enough. I'll, Stu, what I'll, you got? I'd say when I was like. Uh, 20, I had my first date with um, a, a person I was with for 12 years and I was gro- I was scavenging for money. I had barely anything. And uh, it was in my local, down the road at Eastwood, uh, there's a place called Red Rooster Eastwood, not the same Red Rooster I had, and I scrammaged enough money just to get a quarter chicken and chips and go for a walk in the park. And uh, that was very meaningful because she still stayed with me even though I was uh, very low on cash at the time. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool. So I was at my lowest point and uh, we went for a nice walk and chicken and chips, which is the world famous. Red Rooster East are now closed, um, and yeah, that would that would be my answer. Fantastic. Oh, and my other one, really quick, the movies. You take oh. me to the movies, you got me. I yeah. love the movies. Oh, that's so weird, though. No, nah, I love oh. the movies. Go go watch Creed and bring your dad as well. Oh, the movies. so good, mate. My first. Oh, ever- I do love a um, I do love a surprise first date where you meet their parents. That's always a goodie. Whoa! <laughs> Tell me more. I <laughs> will we'll leave that for another day. No, eh? no, very after, good. The after hours. Lion Theory, we'll talk about that on the late night podcast. But <laughs> Yeah, Lion Theory after dark. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Emma, for your time today. That was really, really fun. If you want to check out Emma, she's on Instagram. She's on all the social channels. And make sure you check out her podcast, Sustain This, for some really high-level conversation with some really interesting people. Emma, we wish you all the best. We'll see you hopefully in a week's time once you're out of quarantine. 
And until then, that has been the Lion Theory for yeah. episode four. Stu. Thanks so much, Emma. I can't wait to uh, hopefully meet you one day. And we really appreciate your time today. And good luck on uh, day seven in quarantine. you only got seven to go. And don't forget to send through your questions for next week. That's the Lion Theory for episode four. Goodbye, everyone.